This is Neil Erwitz at the Center for New American Security. We're here today to discuss the most overlooked but arguably most important part of defense, namely the defense industrial base. And we're talking with Jerry Hendricks, who is the director of our Defense Strategies and Assessments Program, who looks over all this stuff for us. So thank you, Jerry. Hi, Neil. How are you today? Great. And you as well, I'm sure. Um, so the president has put out an executive order on the defense industrial base. For those who don't follow this quite as closely, can you let them know what was in this executive order? Well, he's actually asked uh, for a study to be completed looking at the, the status of the nation's defense industrial base. This is the first major review of the industrial base uh, since there was a small review done during the Reagan administration. And then before that, uh, a rather large review that was done during the Eisenhower administration as part of his solarium project leading up to the containment strategy. So this is pretty significant that we're beginning to look at just how much capacity exists, be that to build aircraft or ships or ground elements, and then figure out where that's at. And so uh, it's pretty it's a pretty interesting time. Are you um, understanding that the review has just been ordered, not completed? Are you optimistic about its findings? Do you think that we're going to be in pretty good shape, or are you pretty worried? Actually, I'm pretty worried. Uh, this has been a trend that we've been noting for a number of years. Uh, you know, it wasn't... Uh, too many years ago, actually, you know, 25 years ago, that we had uh, 10 major aircraft. Uh uh, producers in the United States. Today we have four. During the Second World War, there was actually 12 of them. During the Second World War, uh, we had 52 uh, shipbuilders in the country that had dry docks that could build ships 400 feet uh, or, or larger. Today we have 12 of those dry docks in the country. So it's pretty significant when we start to realize that you know through a series of mergers and cutbacks and everything, we've actually seen our industrial capacity with regard to building defense uh, contract significantly in the last 25 years. So to wildly oversimplify it, we're putting more eggs in fewer baskets? That's correct. And, and what's interesting is if you go back and, for instance, bounce this idea off from what Eisenhower did, one of the things that they looked at was not just how many baskets you had, but where they were located. And at that time, the concern was uh, survival in a nuclear attack. So if you took out all your industrial capacity, for instance, in the New England area, you wanted to make sure that you had the ability to build airplanes, bombers, or so on. Elsewhere, that it was, it was distributed. We haven't managed the industrial base with an eye to what can it do in wartime since then. So uh, assuming that our defense industrial base is, uh, that, that the, this review is going to come out roughly as you anticipated coming out, what is the, the upshot of that? Does that mean we're less ready to fight World War II, or does that mean we're less ready to fight North Korea? It means that we're less ready to take on a major peer competitor. I, I don't count North Korea as, as that, but if you start talking about a Russia or a China with a major theater war, then we are less ready to do that. And, and one of the things that, uh, that was already highlighted in the president's remarks, which he gave at the commissioning of the USS Gerald R. Ford, was that there are key areas where we simply either are down to one or maybe two producers of key components within the defense base. Um, and so the idea that you want to build back resi 
resilience and redundancy into that base. It's kind of interesting. In the past, you would say that that's not a very conservative thing to do, that you let the market drive. But when you realize that your major supplier of rare earth metal elements, our components made out of rare earth metals, is China, and that that would go away at the beginning of a conflict, then maybe you need to step in as a, as a policy an initiative of government to make sure the country has the ability to do that on its own. Let me ask the defense hawk question here. We already spend something like the as much as our next eight closest competitors on defense. Why are we still in such danger if we're spending so much more than our competitors? Well, so uh, we, our two major competitors, pure competitors, uh, China and Russia, are taking different strategies with us. Russia has a much smaller defense budget, probably 10% of ours. However, they've invested in highly capable, exquisite platforms like their new Yasm-class submarine, which is a nuclear fast attack submarine. If three of those got loose in the Atlantic Ocean, then the Atlantic gets closed to us. We'll be unable to respond and, and resupply our allies in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. China is actually going sort of numbers for numbers. They're trying to build up not only capabilities, but capacity, the size of their Navy, for instance. And so um, you have to be ready. What you really want to do is you want to be large enough that you actually deter them. You want to convince them that it's not a wise investment, that you'll never beat us at this. And unfortunately, for instance, with the U.S. Navy having slipped down to 276 ships, we're actually getting small enough now that we've invited the challenge. But if only three ships is all it takes, or three subs is all it takes to shut us down, doesn't that imply that this isn't a numbers game, this is a calculation game? I mean, we're never going to get them to the point where they only build one sub. Well, when you <laughs> consider the fact that we've gone from 105 frigates to zero, that's why those three submarines can be so dramatically effective. If you're actually able to get your frigate population back up to the 50 to 70 range, then those three submarines don't represent such a, a, a critical threat to you. That, really. As in their being out in the Atlantic becomes a suicide mission because That's they correct. know we'll get them. Yeah, right now, essentially, we've invited them by our absence uh, to come on out and, and play. Uh, but if we get back in there, if we build back up, if we make the right types of investments, then in fact, we deter them from ever considering to those submarines in the first place. Uh, last question. Assuming that, again, that this uh, review comes out roughly where you expect it, and it sounds like it will, uh, how do we rectify it? Well, what we hope the review does is identifies the key critical components that we are down to one or two manufacturers and that we begin as a government to make a policy to perhaps incentivize current industries to be able to create that capacity and retain it within the United States. We'll also look at areas of expansion like steel production uh, and so on that we'll want to make sure that we have a, a key capacity in a time of war that if we had to go on internal domestic production only, that we could ramp that up significantly. Okay, I lied. One last question. What time frame are we looking at? Are we looking at four years? Are we looking at eight years? Or is this an ongoing thing? Well, I think we'll have the report out within the year. Uh, but I think that essentially this is going to be an ongoing thing. This is something that can be done during the first Trump administration. We can continue in the prognosis that there would be a second one. But it's something seriously the country has to look at in the long term. We're really back to this idea of the containment strategy of the 1950s, which became a strategy that was bipartisan, carried it on for over four Forty years. Hopefully, we're building that type of international or that type of bipartisan consensus going forward. All right. This time, I told the truth. This what that was the final question. So, thanks a lot, Jerry. Thank you, Neil.